mata mua ki te kote kupu, ko te whakaaro, ko te pito mata o te wānanga. Nau mai rā ki te pito mata e huake nei ki tēnei pai kōrero. Welcome to Mata with me, Mehingarangi Forbes, brought to you by Te Māngai Pāho and the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Soon we'll talk to Dr Lara Greaves and Ngāri Mubler about white cis men, political lobbyists and Jacinda Ardern's legacy. Engari, hei kōrero whakarara. Uh, late last year, national candidate Tamapotaka won the Hamilton West by-election, taking the seat back from Labour in a decisive victory. Tama was the CE of Ngai Taiki Tamaki. He's been a senior advisor to the New Zealand Superfund, a general manager at Tainui Group Holdings, and holds a Master of Law from New York's Columbia University. After years of criticism for its lack of diversity, Tama's election brings some much-needed brown brains to the Blue Brigade. Kati hei whakatakatoa i ana whainga, me ōna whakaro, ko hono mai a tamapotaka i te whanganui atara. Tēnā koe e hoa. Koe te mārei, kura kōrua tahi a ko oa hoa tautoko, e miki ana ki a koe te tuakanga ngārimu. Ki a koe anō ki lāra. Ka pai. You've been in Parliament now for a couple of months. Um, you know, what are your takeaways? Well, it's a great place to get lost in and then find yourself out of. So uh, getting my feet under the table and getting visible in Parliament and making sure the security know who I am is a really important factor. Uh, but also being visible on the ground in Hamilton West and being active engaging with our constituents is the number one co-papa that I'm committed to right now. You're also um, the, the spokesperson or you have the Māori development portfolio for National. What do you see as the main impediments for Māori development and you know, what are some of your solutions? Well, one of the biggest challenges that we have with Māori development right now is the cost of living uh, and the economic situation that's been very challenging for our whānau. Uh, and uh, in my view, and certainly what I hear from Māori constituents, both in Hamilton West and Māori up and down the country, is that the cost of living and the economy is very challenging, very challenging for the majority of whānau Māori. So it's something that really uh, challenges whānau, uh, and it's something that we're committed to addressing uh, as we try to win the election in October. Yeah, I guess, you know, when you talk about success or getting ahead, um, you have to have, it's through opportunity. And so when I look at your own whenua at Mōkai Pātia near Taihape, it's said to be about 90% landlocked. And as owners, many of the generations have never stood on the whenua there. So after 90 years of, you know, basically land alienation, how would you help shore up the access and the opportunity for your people to access and use their land? Well, 75% of the land at Mōkai Pātia is legally restricted uh, and it's legally landlocked, so there's no legal access. Uh, it's quite a challenging uh, matter for the whānau and the iwi at Mōkai Pātia, but something that's going through the treaty settlement negotiation process right now. Uh, so we hope and aspire to have some solutions through that process. But those solutions also have to uh, work with and connect with the landowners, uh, whether or not they're the Crown, uh, for example, Department of Conservation with New Zealand Defence Force, uh, or private landowners for some of the big stations like Namatia uh, and Mangohane, that are owned by some of which are actually owned by our relatives. So it's a whole of community, uh, iwi, Crown, Council engagement that has to take place. Yeah, in your maiden speech you talked about those rural areas being the backbone or the feeders, if you like, into the big cities. But when you can't access your land, you know, what are some of the solutions there for Māori businesses and iwi and um, land blocks to get ahead? Well, in one of the instances, it's actually uh, the Department of Conservation, the Director-General, giving us access by 
enabling us to be invitees through Dockland to access our own land. So that's a great example where you actually don't have to go through a treaty settlement process, but it's the Director General of Dock activating that provision or that uh, responsibility and mandate that she has. Uh, in other instances, it's working with uh, landowners, perhaps through easements or some sort of licensing arrangement, some of which informally happen on the ground now. Uh, but when you start talking about roads or infrastructure that are 20 kilometres long, that's quite a big uh, uh, a big challenge. Uh, and certainly there are existing pathways to achieve that. Uh, but for us, uh, there there are some uh, what, what should I say? There are some avenues that exist right now uh, that that we can use to access those lands, and we need to do more to have better access and more reasonable access. Mm. Um, you're the MP for Ham uh, Hamilton West, and in the past, and a great said, place it is too. And a great, great place. place. And in the past, you've said you know you won't, you don't really want to talk about co-governance. But when you when you consider that the Waikato River runs through your electorate, it's hard not to. It was the national government that created the framework for the Waikato River Authority, which is a co-governance arrangement. The next iteration, if you like, is Three Waters. Um, yet your party's opposed. So, what's the alternative to the iwi in your electorate? Well, the first thing is that when I talk with most uh, of the Māori constituents, both in my electorate and throughout the country, people actually aren't really concerned or focused on co-governance. What they're focused on is the cost of living and some of the, uh, particularly in Hamilton West, some of the pretty dangerous and difficult law and order issues that we have with retail and crime. So that's actually, co-governance is not a massive issue, not really discussed. In terms of the treaty settlement processes which the National Party has undertaken, we respect the partnership arrangements uh, that, that exist, particularly with the Waikato River Authority, absolutely acknowledge that and, and also recognise that in terms of treaty settlements, National has been uh, the most progressive of all parties to get those jobs and, and those uh, settlements done. Uh, so that's uh, where we get to with treaty settlements. We respect what's in place. Uh, so what's the, the alternative then? What's the alternative to three Well, the, the, alternative, the alternative that we've uh, said is that Oh, are you saying the alternative to co-governance? No, to, uh, to you know, three waters, and, and that's an issue that the national government has not been oh, yeah, on board I think, with. Um, yeah, I, I think at the outset we all recognise there are issues with uh, the three waters, uh, wastewater, uh, stormwater and freshwater, uh, but having Molesworth Street or Murphy Street saying we know best and we're going to centralise control of all this is not what we support. We actually support more community uh, council-oriented solutions and councils can determine them for themselves how to organise themselves and get to uh, solutions for the waters in their own area. But, but why, would, having, why wouldn't uh, it be Māori orientated when the awa is their tūpuna awa? Shouldn't they have a say over their own awa? Yeah, and that's for the communities and the councils and those iwis to get together, those iwi to get together and to decide their own uh, uh, their own. That's not really worked this far. It's not really worked this far having... Not for someone in the beehive to say to people in Rata or Mōkaipātia, we know everything, and here's your answer. Yeah, like I said, it's not really worked in the past for, for Māori to have community hui with community... It's definitely worked for the Waikato River Authority. Yeah, but that was, a, that, that was created. It was a framework that was created and legislated, so it had to happen. So what you're saying is you want uh, Waikato to get around the table with the community and talk about their aspirations over the water. No, no, we respect the Waikato River Authority as a solution uh, for uh, the Waikato River, and we support that. Uh, what we don't uh, respect or uh, agree with is Molesworth Street and the people in uh, the government right now to say, we have a solution for everybody, and here it is, enforcing that and imposing that on all councils and communities. Mm. Uh, as you know, Mihinarangi, 
the Waikato's River Authority is very well supported by councils and communities. You say that, um, you know, the cost of living is what's important for Māori at the moment, but actually nat nat uh, natural resources is all about cost of living. And if, you, if I reflect back to the late 90s or early 2000s when the national government pri uh, privatised um, power, you know, it hit it hit New Zealanders in the pocket and for some now it's still hitting them in the pocket because they're paying lines fees and, you know, in the king country it's terrible for people down there. So isn't the same thing to be said about water? So in the future, if, if Māori don't have a say about it, it's going to become a cost of living issue for them. Oh, I think that there are definitely pathways, uh, particularly in the experience that you've described in a number of other uh, management arrangements and design arrangements that Māori are involved in up and down the river with rivers. Uh, up and down the country with rivers, where there is some engagement with iwi, with communities that have a high interest in water. So I, I think it's pretty uh, rich for you to say that, oh, the National Party did this 25 years ago and it's the National Party's fault that we've got a cost of living crisis now. Actually, uh, there are a number of governments that have done a number, number of things, but right here, right now, the Labor government has spent an all amount of money on pet projects instead of focusing on the key thing, which right now is the cost of living for whānau. Um, let's talk about one of those portfolios that come under the Māori development as uh, Māori Broadcasting. Um, there was a merger on the table and Māori Broadcasting was going to be the second kind of wave of that, if you like. It didn't happen. So um, it's under your portfolio. Would you change anything? I, I think that, you know, I'm getting my feet under the table and understanding the full purview and the full uh, implications of uh, how monies are allocated and how people are allocated across the Māori broadcasting space right now. I'm not really in a position to conclude that, yes, that's the best thing, or are there other options? That's something that I'll uh, turn to in the next couple of months. You do know about um, Iwi Radio, though, because you've had a little bit to do with that in the past, and, um, you know, there's 21 Iwi Radio stations. Um, each station receives $500,000 a year to run. We all know that. That's been well and truly reported over decades and decades because it hasn't really changed. Um, if we take those iwi radio stations during the cyclone who were the lifeline to those communities when no one else was there, no one else was even on their way to their communities, would you support funding them to the same level as RNZ and TVNZ in terms of, um, yeah, in terms of their funding? Oh, that's something I'd definitely be open to looking into. Uh, and I, I do know that and acknowledge your observation that Māori Radio, but not only Māori Radio, Marae and other uh, Māori-oriented uh, uh, sources and mahi and people have been absolutely instrumental in the recovery effort and the response effort for, for the, both the floods and the cyclone. So that's definitely something I'm happy to look into. Yeah, so going forward, when you know, because climate change isn't going away, we're going to still have all of these cyclones and floods and the rest of it. Would that be something that under your portfolio you'd look at kind of um, bringing together some kind of Māori community hub using the broadcasting, the reo iridangi, um, you know, the marae, uh, whānau order, all those kinds of things? That would make sense. It's kind of what's happening in some of the communities. Yeah, I think that's happening in some communities already. And I, I certainly know from my experience of people... Uh, particularly out at Tuhi Karamea, Temple View and the Mormon community out there, that there is some real arcing or uh, collaboration around making sure there's some resilience uh, against uh, major major weather and other seismic events that happen. So that's something that I, I've looked at and thought, actually, there are some things within Māori management practices, let's call it, or Māori response practices that are really, really positive for Māori communities, but also for all of New Zealanders. 
So making sure that those really positive, constructive responses that are led by uh, Māori communities or uh, influenced by Māori communities are supported is right where my thinking is at. It sounds a lot like co-governance there, which isn't well, no, I don't, about I don't, resource. I don't, I don't know because actually the definition of co-governance has never been plainly laid out. So I think that there's a lot of spectrum in, in how you describe that, Mihinari. So you support that kind of scenario where you've got um, iwi and the iwi radio stations, uh, the health, the local Māori health, working with council and government? Well, I think that already happens in some places, and some of that is informal. It happens anyway. So up on the East Coast, for example, there was a, a great uh, effort during the um, uh, the COVID response with Iwi and Marae and others working together. Ditto uh, Waipareira out at uh, West Auckland. Not that I go out there on a regular basis, you know, once a year, and that's probably enough. But, uh, you know, there, there are some great examples of people working together to deliver on need, and that happens uh, organically. Uh, what what uh, I think you're suggesting to me is that actually we should have statutorily imposed uh, co-governance over a whole range of things, and that's not something that the National Party believes in or supports. Tēnā koe. Kia ora, e hoa. Kia pai tōra. Haere pai atu. O kia ora mai. Kā ki te anō. Ai. Ko tamapōtaka tērā. Hoi anō. Hei runanga i ngā i tērā uiuitanga me ngā take nui o te wā. E tahuri atu nei tātou ki te taumata uh, toko huatau hua o mata. She's one of the very few Māori political commentators who is actually qualified to do it. Ite Ihumania, Victoria University political scientist, Dr. Lara Grease. And he is currently the most famous Māori on TikTok. <laughs> so we've invited him on for a few clicks. I did wonder if Ngāti, my suit was up to it today. Ngāti whātua ora kei style icon slash mover shaker. Ngāri mu blia tēnā kura. I told you I had an intro for you. Yeah. 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 Can I get an out of 10 for the suit? <laughs> yeah. Um, what did you make of Tama Potaka's kōrero? Um, well, Tama is, you know, he's had a very impressive uh, commercial corporate career um, and he's uh, clearly been brought up on the pā um, and in one of our most famous Māori schools and um, the National Party are really lucky to have him, uh, mm. to be frank. Um, you know, he's very articulate, uh, intelligent, and um, yeah, I think um, they're really lucky to have him, and, and he will be a great representative uh, in that spectrum of the politics for our Māori people. Kia ora. What's stuck out for you? Yeah, I totally agree with that assessment. I think that he's coming closer to articulating a position on co-governance and a position that does have that Māori flavour to it that is actually not just, oh, us versus them, something a little bit more nuanced, a little bit more localism, a little bit more like local control over local things. And we could kind of see that coming through from the beginning in some of Chris Luxon's answers, the moment he actually got on TV his first Q&A mm. interview. But to have Tama kind of take that and run with it and with his experience and mana, it kind of makes a bit more sense. Yeah, the experience on the ground, so you can actually see it. Yeah. Do you think the National Party is going to get into a little bit of... Um, you know, issues around co-governance if it, if it can't define what exactly it is? Um, well, I don't think either party can define exactly what it is. Is it 50% uh, representation across every natural uh, asset and resource and the health sector and yeah. road building and house building and, and all sorts? So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I kind of agree with Tama to a certain extent that, yeah, uh, most Māori in West Auckland, which he doesn't visit very much, we hear, <laughs> where I live... Um, no one's talking really about co-governance. Yeah. There are a lot of people trying to pitch, make it a pitched battle between uh, and get uh, on both sides of it, the rednecks and uh, and others who are trying to turn it into a race issue. Um, mm. 
But the average person, I, I really, I think it's quite an abstract thing. Totally, but as you know, it's important to be at the table. It is, and it's um, how do you get to the table? It's for 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 us as as a Ngāti Fata speaking here. We we want to be at the table, but does that mean we have to be fifty percent of the table, or do we want the people who are uh, making decisions to be very aware of our issues mm. uh, in our area? Mm. So yeah, there's there's a lot to go under I, water I, under the bridge. I, in this um, I did ask Thumb about what the alternative to three waters is. It mm. doesn't seem to be like anyone can really articulate. Are both parties failing to kind of explain what they want? I think both Labour and National are struggling a lot in that area. We saw National come up with their free waters policy not long ago, and a lot of the critiques on that were that it wasn't costed as such. And mm. like one of the big issues here, taking it back to that cost of living issue, is that our rates bills will go up if something isn't fixed or something mm. changes. So I think that's still probably an area that hopefully we'll see some policy development and discussion over the election period in that area. Yeah. Uh, well, there's kind of some big news today. You know, the Stuart Nash saga has raised some interesting insights into how ministers deal with lobbyists and big business. And while journalists struggle to even get an interview with a minister, we hear that they're taking phone calls from um, big business lobbyists. So I guess what's happening here, Lara? Um, well, our lobbying industry, it seems, compared to all the international comparators, has not been as well regulated. And it's also actually, it's hard because you're kind of making excuses a bit when you say it's a tricky area to regulate, but it kind of is. Because then if you know you take a Māori mm. lens on it, it's like it's kind of also access to ministers. If you take an NGO or like charity lens on it, they have access to ministers as well. So that gets a bit tricky. Yes. But the big concern here are those third-party lobbyists and those people that did have swipe card access to the buildings. Mm. Do they you could just go through and hang out have one? Do you have a swipe card access to the to Parliament? I only recently got a swipe card to Auckland Council, and this oh. is our whenua. So, um, yeah, we... Yeah, I mean, it's a good point, though, but, like, how do Māori get in front of ministers, you know, and things like RMA, water, like, really important stuff? Really easily in an election, yeah. But um, generally, our Māori MPs are pretty open, and, mm. um, you know, we see them at different events, and uh, they're pretty good with their access. Doesn't mean you get what you want every mm. time, um, far from it. But, yeah, like most Kiwis, be very concerned with those with very deep pockets, uh, being able to influence decisions. Um, but yeah, as, as iwi and as Māori, it's, it is a bit different. It's more like diplomacy because, mm. you know, we regard mm. ourselves as being the treaty partner, talking to our treaty partner. Mm. And, um, you know, that's how... So we don't see that as lobbying. Yeah, but do you still get, you know, to have audiences sometimes with those that aren't Māori ministers? Oh, yeah, no doubt um, we do. Um, but, you know, we're in Auckland iwi. We're a long way from Wellington. Mm. We don't really engage in that a lot. So the PM saying that he wants to see a code of con conduct, um, he wants to get rid of the swipe cards, um, is that enough? Well, I was quite surprised that they were going to do anything because I thought it would just blow over over a few days and then it's another issue, it's white cis men or whatever the issue of the day. But so I was quite surprised that there was an announcement that's not what I was expecting from that yeah. press conference. And so it's just kind of the surprise dipping the toe good, in the surprise water. Bad. Just that it's probably surprise good because it's something that I think most people in society can get behind. It's lightly populist, so it's lightly going on that us versus them, you know, the regular person versus the elites. It's lightly tipping in, tapping into that, but not too intensely. So he's kind of just kicking it off and saying, figure out a plan to mm. the lobbyists or we'll regulate you more and have a bit of a review. Mm. And what's been interesting about it is sort of national and others coming out saying that it maybe should be more hardcore than that. So he's kind of, it's an interesting political position to be in where I think maybe we will get some more cross-party support for reform. Um, the former Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern is retiring from Parliament. Um, how will she be, her political legacy for Ngāti Whātou Rākei, how will that be remembered? 
She'll be fondly remembered um, for the way she engaged empathetically with the nation, um, with our people, um, her representing, you know, young wahine, uh, who, uh, you know, and, and having a, a little peppy and, and going through, you know, the stress of that, <laughs> being a young mum. Um, so she'll be fondly remembered by us. And we, we had uh, the honour of, of hosting her when she was uh, given the, the kōrua, uh, and we were very proud to host her. So, yeah, she'll be fondly remembered. Mm. How, how will you remember her? Yeah, I um, was pregnant myself at the same time as her, and I just remember throwing up in the McDonald's car park and seeing <laughs> that great fish hook announcement around her pregnancy. And I think that's deeply meaningful to a lot of parents, a lot of people trying to juggle a lot of things. I think more on that political science society thing, in the years to come we will be reflecting on her as, as the COVID Prime Minister, the crisis Prime Minister. And that's just different from being a day-to-day -day delivery Prime Minister. I think a lot of people have been reflecting on her limitations and... It's kind of hard when they've just left. What do you think should still be there if not for COVID? That's that's a really hard question, actually. Mm. But potentially, it's weird because, like, technically in 2017, National had the highest share of the vote, so she mm. was on the back foot from day one. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, there was a, a wahine um, Māori, Greens co-leader, that is, Marama Davidson, is... Um, she came under fire in the last week or so. She didn't... She, uh, sorry, I'm reading the wrong notes. She um, made a comment about cis white men. Do you think it was wrong? Well, I think that, like, the bar for wahine Māori in public discourse is getting hit by a motorcycle and then your comments after that are judged. Like, if I had been hit by a motorcycle, I would really hope that someone just kind of, like, gave me a bit of leeway. Because I say dumb Sent stuff generally. I know, I'm not, not a mister, but, like, it's that thing of it wasn't put well and um, unfortunately it's blown up and it's blown up for you know reasons based on research basically that group cis white men are particularly sensitive to sort of freedom of speech concerns are getting more polarized over time i.e disliking other parties over time we mm. can see that in the political psychology research so i wasn't surprised that that blew up did you know what a cis white man was well, apparently I'm half cis white and half uh, Māori, cis Māori, so um, I was Came evenly balanced with here. <laughs> but Marama is a fierce advocate for te tino rangatira tanga, uh, mana motuhake and uh, te taio and, and kaitiaki tanga. So um, she's always, you know, puts her f uh, front foot forward on issues and, um, you know, she's a fierce uh, fighter for our environment and Māori rights. So. Do you think she should have been more careful about what she says or are you OK with it? Oh, you know, some people make mistakes, and um, given her track record on all the other issues, you know, people should be forgiven. Is the equity of free speech in Aotearoa? No. No, <laughs> this is a flat no. <laughs> like, I think that most of us are quite sensitive to it because, like, I just said in the inboxes of my colleagues, if I say something politically, I get, you know, a series of emails or tweets or whatever, whereas my male colleagues get, dear fine sir, I respectfully disagree with you, whereas I get, you're fat and I disagree with you, you're not objective. Oh. So it's like quite clear that like we face different consequences, different pushback, just based on our identities. Like that is quite fundamentally clear This week we had New Zealander of the Year, Rangi Mātāmua. What did you make of him? Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, um, that morning uh, of Matariki, um, and a really, New Zealanders embraced it like Kiwis of all backgrounds embraced it and my little country rugby club even, first time they asked if I could do a mihi mihi and a oh. karakia uh, at the aftermatch function, all on the back of uh, really, well lots of movements but that one really, mm. really hit people and I think it was that mix of uh, indigeneity, South Pacificness mm. and the environment 
And, you know, and everyone loves looking at the stars. Yeah, that's true. Um, he said that he had no idea, and I truly believe yeah, him. Yeah. And he said he just thought, you know, the other candidates, he was he didn't have a shoe in, but he did. What yeah. do you make of him? Well, yeah, it's it's like Matariki and Rangi Matamo and all the work that he's done. Like, obviously, he's just amazing and done an excellent job mm. and, like, been a real trailblazer for Māori and astronomy and all of that area. So, like, wonderful, just absolutely wonderful. What are we looking forward to this week in politics and iwi and council and national, local, anything coming up? Um, well, we're post Matatini and we're just looking to lie low and have a take a breather. Hang your nice suits up, <laughs> brush them down. Yeah, yeah, get them dry clean, ready yeah. for the next one. Ready for the next TikTok. <laughs> How many what, views your TikTok by by the way? Do you know? Uh, I, I mean, I don't look, but yeah, but you're told. One of my daughters has told me it's around eight million. Eight million. <laughs> could Apparently, you, that's a lot. Could you do a, a Mata promo for us? <laughs> <laughs> Anything that you're looking forward to in the next week? Yeah, just under Ardern's farewell, mm. you know, and just really like, yeah, just her farewell, her valedictory speech, what she brings up, um, and what was important to her, and all of that. Just really, yeah, farewelling her. Kapoim. Well, tēnā kōrua. Um, thank you for sharing all your views and it'll be interesting to see how Tamapotaka goes and whether National gets in what kind of other portfolios. In fact, what, what do you think he would be good at, if not just Māori development? Anything else in there? Well, um, we have a housing crisis generally mm. and Māori have an even bigger housing crisis. So with his uh, recent property background and finance background, I think he could add a lot to help unlock that. You know, a, a warm, affordable, safe house is the foundation for so many things. So I'd, I'd really like to see him roll his sleeves up in that area. Mm. Any other areas? He's really, like anything. Like I, I, I have to hand it to anyone in Hapu Iwi Māori organisation politics because that's like some very hardcore politics. If you can handle that, you can yeah. handle anything. <laughs> so Māori development, but you think he could work somewhere else and... Yeah, like I think anything, anything economic, anything. housing. He's got the associate minister housing, of anything, anything minister. He could be, he could be minister for everything, like they have in Labour. Yes. Well, number twelve on the party list for the Greens is Ifeso Collins. How do you think he'll go? Twelve, you know. Yeah, marginal, like marginal. maybe. Oh. Yeah. And it's it's been an interesting one with him because, like, does he just need to stay in the Greens for a bit longer to get higher on that list? I would have maybe expected him to be further up that list, but the Greens are an interesting beast. Generally. Do you think he'll fit in with the Greens, Ifeso? I, the Greens base, I'm not sure. Maybe some other parts of the Greens. Uh, it was a surprise, actually, but, you know, he's a great social advocate and orator, so, um, yeah, I think he'll do OK. He'll be able to, you know, you know, rebuild some of that campaigning drive that he got out in his areas, and maybe, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Ko waika mōhio. Well, tēnā kōra, thank you for joining us. Uh, e huri o tātou mata ki ngā take o te wā, e tāraiana i te ara whakamua. Kia koua tātou e whakarerea, ki muri, kia koua hoki tātou e mata kohore. Ka nui te mihi ki te puna whakatonga rewa, me te māngai pāho. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll be back in a fortnight. Nō no mai.